Welcome to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast, where we talk with some of the greatest names from the stadium and stage about the music and sports that shaped their lives. I'm John Adams. In my years of working in the music and sports arenas, I've experienced firsthand the surprising connections between these two industries. Together, through this podcast, we will explore this crossover relationship. All of our podcasts have an accompanying Spotify playlist that showcases the music we discuss with each of our guests. Search for The Score on Spotify. Today's guest is poised and understated. He was once touted as the best all-round athlete to come out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And that's at a time when he was competing against one of the greatest names in the sports universe. And we'll get to that in a minute. He is an absolute music legend and a Hall of Famer. In 1957, he had his first number one hit with Chances Are. He was awarded the Society of Singers Lifetime Achievement Award in 2006. And in 2014, he was inducted into the Great American Songbook Hall of Fame. He's also been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame for three separate recordings. Chances Are, Misty, and It's Not For Me To Say. We get to speak with Johnny Mathis right after this. Hi, this is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right now, the coronavirus is affecting all of us, but for communities of color, the impact is especially devastating. Sadly, this pandemic amplifies the real-life consequences of existing economic and social inequalities. That's why the NBA is partnering with the National Urban League to help inform, represent, and empower communities of color. This is a time for all of us to help all of us, and the more we understand the issues, the more we will be able to solve them. Now, more than ever, we need to be in this together. Be safe, be informed, and get engaged. Welcome back to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast. With us right now is the incomparable Johnny Mathis. Johnny, how are you today? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, let's see, I'm 83 years old. I can't believe it. I remember when I was... uh, Actually, 19 or 20 years old, and I was uh, just starting to sing, yeah. <laughs> and about that same time, you were also a track athlete, am I correct? Well, uh, I I had aspirations of going to the Olympics uh, in, oh, what, 956 or 57, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I was a high jumper and a hurdler, uh, and... Uh, I used to work out with a guy by the name of Bill Russell, a <laughs> famous basketball player. And uh, he and I uh, were pals because we lived in uh, the same city and uh, went to school near each other. In the Bay Area, um, right? In the Bay Area in San Francisco, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we became pals. I saw him, I saw Bill high jump seven feet three or four. Wow when the world record was only about six feet 10. Um, and I wanted him, you know, I said, well, wow, you should go to the Olympics. And of course his basketball coach says, call me. And (laughs) (laughs) he didn't threaten me, but he says, leave my, my, my basketball player alone. You're going to kill him. He'll jump over that thing and he'll break his leg. (laughs) So, Phil Wolpert was his name. He's a great basketball coach, but um, but Bill was totally, totally um, enraptured with his basketball. Uh, but uh, he was he was a wonderful all-around athlete. And did you ever play basketball? 
I did. I was, uh, was I was captain of my uh, senior basketball uh, team, and uh, we won uh, quite a lot of tournaments. There were championships, but uh, we were in there. <laughs> when you competed against Bill Russell, he's six ten, and you're five seven. Five seven. So that <laughs> and and you did beat him when you guys were competing. It was Mutt and Jeff time. Yeah. And <laughs> what happened is we, uh, uh, since we were both pretty good at what we did in our own uh, school, I went to San Francisco State and he went to USF. Mm-hmm. We pulled our money and traveled together up and down the, uh, the coast of San Francisco uh, to track meets. And we became pals. Then before I knew it, he had signed his uh, contract with uh, Boston Celtics. And I had uh, just left from San Francisco to go to New York to make my first recording for Columbia Records. And uh, we were near each other, and uh, we kept the relationship all these many years. When you guys competed, who was the bigger trash talker? (laughs) Well, we're kind of sophisticated. Got to remember, we're from San Francisco. We're in trash talk. (laughs) (laughs) You You let your performance speak for itself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you had quite the decision then to make to go to New York and to to start your singing career or to to continue training for the Melbourne Olympics. Was that a tough decision to make or did you know absolutely it's music 100 (laughs) percent? My father was my best pal and he uh, is the reason that I sing. Uh, He was a, a lovely man, had seven children, he and my mom. And uh, he played the piano and he sang every night after he'd come home from work in his uh, uh, work clothes and he'd sit down at the piano and play uh, and uh, and sing. And uh, I was the only one out of the seven kids who, you know, sat by him and listened to him. And eventually uh, he uh, his, his his musical uh, abilities uh, uh, caught on to uh, as far as I was concerned and the most thing that I'm most proud of I think uh, from my uh, career as a singer is that uh, my father was was my uh, he was my big hero I I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine what he and my mom did uh, with domestic wages uh, very little money but a great deal of, of uh, love and uh, companionship, uh, raised seven children, and uh, we all uh, loved them so much. And I wanted to be like my dad. And uh, of course, I, I ended up uh, making my, uh, my singing, uh, my career. It was a wonderful place to grow up in San Francisco because I had a lot of very famous people came through San Francisco, and mm-hmm. that was the, the reason that I got heard as an early, uh, I, was, I was about 16 years old, I think, when the, the gentleman from uh, New York, uh, his name was George Ivakian, he was the head of jazz music for Columbia Records, and he heard me sing when I was 16 years old, and he thought I sang well, and uh, maybe had a future to sing, but he uh, thought I was too young and I needed to learn the ropes or something. <laughs> and said, I'll come back next year. And I said, oh, sure. You know, I've heard that before. And he came back the next year when I was 
17 years old and signed me to a recording contract for Columbia Records. And it sounds like you and your, you and your dad had a really good relationship. You must have loved uh, when he would when he would come to your concerts or to your to your sporting events to 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 be there to to support you. At a very early age, uh, my dad uh, came to the house with a bunch of it looked like a bunch of lumber, and it turned out to be a piano that he had to dismantle. <laughs> to get into this little small house that we lived in. And uh, he dismantled it and put it back together inside, sat down, and for the first time, uh, we uh, and the family first heard him play the piano. I never knew he could. (laughs) That was before you were writing your music. So what were some of the songs that you and your family enjoyed singing together? I started taking voice lessons at a very early age, Mm -hmm. and my, my voice teacher was a woman, and she was also an opera singer. So we uh, we studied uh, a lot vocally, uh, and I sang a lot of operatic arias with her. And uh, we sort of didn't know which uh, avenue I was going to uh, go to as far as my music was concerned. Uh, but uh, that all changed uh, when I sat down with my dad, and he would... Uh, play me, uh, you know, just Molly and me, baby makes three, we're happy in my blue heaven. <laughs> and uh, that more or less uh, was the type of music that I uh, sort of graduated to. And in San Francisco, we're very lucky because there were a lot of jazz clubs and uh, I, uh, I got uh, a little jazz orientation. And as a matter of fact, I was signed to Columbia Records by the head of jazz, uh, George Vakin. Hmm. Well, I'm glad you went the the, the the popular music and jazz route because I don't know if I would have known you if you went the operatic route. <laughs> that would have been a, a very different sound. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but, you know, my opera, I, I studied with this lady who was an opera singer, and uh, she insisted because uh, at a very early age, I, I think I started working with her when I was 16 or 17 years old, and my voice hadn't changed yet. Mm. Uh, I was like, oh, sing one like this one day. <laughs> and then the next day I'd come in and sing like this. <laughs> so I didn't know how I was going to end up vocally, uh, but uh, she was an opera singer, so we, we sang and attempted to sing a lot of operatic songs. And... Uh, and I and it helped me a great deal in maintaining uh, my vocal range uh, over the years, and um, I was uh, very very fortunate in so many ways in that respect. Mm-hmm. I know over your career you have also sung the the national anthem at several sporting events and championship games and such. That is, seems to be a very difficult song that some artists will sing live and others absolutely will not. Have you? And the rocket, red glare. That's where everybody sort of pumps yes. out. Yeah. yeah, or tries to change keys in the middle of the song. <laughs> I, I know that, that in the 80s you hosted the, the Seniors Classic, the Johnny Mathis Seniors Classic at Mountain Gate Country Club. Are you an avid golfer? I am. I'm absolutely crazy about it. Um, I am going nuts now because of the, uh, uh, the you know, the, the situation. Uh, everything is closed up because sure. of the... Uh, the COVID-19. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so 
I'm uh, sitting around twiddling my thumbs after I come back from the gym. I, I go to the gym in the morning, uh, five days a week, and still work out uh, mm. with a trainer. I'm ready to go anytime they uh, they give us the, uh, the go-ahead and get rid of the virus. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Are there favorite sports, sporting events that you like to attend in person? I usually get a better view, of course, watching it on television. Mm -hmm. But when I was uh, young and in school, the the, the great anticipation was going to a, a track meet, uh, especially uh, one that had international competition. And uh, and I still feel that way. I, I love to go to uh, in person uh, to track meets, to basketball games, football games. It's still a very, very big part of my life, uh, but now as a spectator. I would imagine that being an athlete helped you to have stamina to be able to, to sing uh, on stage. I think what most concerns me about uh, my athletic career was concentrating hmm. and that if you're going to go on stage and sing for people that's very important <laughs> you have to concentrate <laughs> oh, sure and i'm sure that it also instills confidence and helps in in a lot of different ways at a very early age i was very comfortable in front of an audience mm -hmm. because of my athletics and so uh, it helped me a great deal when i had to stand in front of people and and sing yes absolutely and you're still out uh, touring and, and performing. Yeah, I, I started to uh, travel uh, internationally uh, when I was about 19 or 20. I think I went to Great Britain for the first time and uh, then uh, took a, a ferry boat over to France. And, uh, and it really has enhanced my thoughts about what to sing when I'm on stage. Uh, because when I started to travel internationally, I usually had to sing a song or two in Portuguese, in, in South America, wow. or, or in, in Europe, I had to sing in German and, and uh, in Spanish. And so it, it helped me a great deal uh, to have uh, that background. Uh, it's it's enhanced my my love for all kinds of music. Uh, some of my best uh, uh, wonderful friends are opera singers. I've had a blessing as far as my music is concerned because it's it's absolutely taken over my life. And do you in still a nice way. do you still enjoy touring and being in front of of uh, fans and uh, audiences? <laughs> I just like to sing. Uh, if somebody's there, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll put on a suit and, you know, and shine my suit and stand up in front of them and sing. But I just like to sing, yeah. I know for me, when I hear your name, I immediately think of your hits, but I also think of your Christmas albums. I absolutely adore those Christmas albums, and it's part of our Christmas traditions in our house. Thank you. I was so lucky uh, because... Uh, my mom and my dad made Christmas for seven kids. We lived in a very, very tiny little apartment in San Francisco. And so we celebrated Christmas, and uh, Christmas music was a big deal. 
So the minute I had my first hit record with Columbia Records, I, I begged them, please let me sing some Christmas music for my mom and my dad. And uh, I made my first Christmas album with uh, a wonderful man by the name of Percy Faith. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, I became, you know, Johnny Christmas for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Johnny. Have a wonderful day and be safe. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast. You can listen to the music mentioned in this podcast by clicking the Spotify link in the description or by searching the SCORE on Spotify. Please take a moment to leave a review and share the podcast with your friends and family. For more exclusive interviews and playlists, subscribe to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast now.